Luke chapter number 2. If anyone needs an outline, Ryan has those. If anyone didn't get one and wants one. Who we leave out of the nativity. Tonight, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to be here um, in Luke chapter number 2. We think of this passage often. And I think it's a great passage. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up also, went up from the Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from, one, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. <clears throat> and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that had seen it, they made known abroad the saying. Oh, I just read that same verse, didn't I? Verse 18. All they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now we go to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. <clears throat> now we understand as we get here, and I don't really, the, you know, we sing the song, We Three Kings, the kings were not there, wise men were not there the night that Christ was born. Does it really, if someone really, is it going to mess up their theology deeply if they, you know, we sing We Three Kings, they, they did come. He was probably a couple years old, he wasn't a newborn, and they were in a house, they weren't in a manger when he came. So what I expect you to do to be biblical if you have a nativity scene, like we've got one here, those, the wise men need to be put someplace else in a house with Jesus, you can't really have to be biblical, you've got to do it right, right? Anyways, chapter 2, verse number 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, <coughs> saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. See fear? Talk about fear this morning, didn't we? And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. 
And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophets, and now Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. <coughs> then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young ch- where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And then when they were coming to the house, not the manger, see that there, house, not manger, they saw the young child, not a baby, a young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. What we have before us is most of the Christmas story. And I remember as a kid in our Christian school, we always had a Christmas play. We, um, on Wednesday night, some of our kids and the ladies had worked with them and they put on a Christmas play here on Wednesday night. We would always have a special night that we'd have it. And everyone, there were certain roles as a kid you wanted to be able to do. And uh, no one wanted to be Mary and Joseph because it was like they were married and you're in like fourth grade. And you don't want some, oh, you two like, you You know, they didn't want people saying things like that to you. Um, If you didn't like to sing, you just wanted to be a shepherd with your staff in your hand, just standing there bowing your head. That was a great one to do. If you thought you had a good voice, you would try and be one of the kings and, you know, you could sing the, you know, We Three Kings, the sect gold and frankincense and myrrh. When we were in Montana at the, and we had the Christian school there, one of the kids got up and he was, he was one of the kings and he was the first time we were practicing and he's like, Frankenstein to offer have I. And uh, Frankenstein is not what they offered that day. Frankincense. And I think, John, you sent me a little thing that had Frankenstein at the manger scene. I think that was you. Someone did anyways. And, uh, but you would have, the girls would want to be angels, even though not one time in the Bible do we see a girl angel. Do you see a girl na- an angel that's a girl in the Bible ever? The, the men's names, anyways, you can figure all that out yourself. And uh, growing up, I had someone a few weeks ago come up to me and say, Pastor, we have a nativity scene in church. We have graven images sitting in our church. He's like, what is the difference between someone having an idol that they worship in their house and you having a nativity scene sitting in the church? I haven't worshipped it. Just a picture. So well, what's the difference? If you feel very strongly about it, I encourage you, don't put one in your house. Say, why do we have an nativity scene up in our church? They were putting it up before I ever got here. I figured, I'll keep putting it up. I don't know how, is that thing very old? It's been here a while, right? It's probably older than some of the people that have been here for a long time. And uh, you can even see, if you go up real close, you can see where Anthony as a kid dropped something and broke one of the wise men in half, and Rick went and fixed it and different things. You can see all that different stuff on it. But when you look at an, a nativity scene, people, yesterday I was visiting someone, and they, they had just found a nativity scene they were going to put outside their house. They were all excited about it and that. When you have a nativity scene, I'm like the one over there, you see Mary and Joseph, and they should be there. The mother of Jesus, the earthly Jesus, we know not the mother of God, we also see Joseph, the one who God, God brought their family to, and how that all worked out. Jesus should be there. That's an important one. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> we see angels. 
because the story is about angels as well, worshiping God. We see wise men that come and worship God. We see shepherds that come and worship Jesus. There are a lot of people we leave out of the nativity story. And sometimes, one of the things that we got to remember, do you ever get frustrated with people? I do. I get frustrated sometimes. And just to give you some examples, and we got a, we got a pretty good crowd in here tonight. I don't think I'm going to get in much trouble saying some things I might say. <clears throat> I get very frustrated turning on the news or hearing about Congress and things like that. I get frustrated watching these guys. <laughs> there are lots of things that frustrate me. Let me teach you a good lesson, too. Never in my years, I'm 34 years old, I have never placed a bet on anything because I'm not for all that stuff, and I don't think it's a good thing to do. So Joe, before football season, said, he's a Jets fan, he's like, let's, let's have a, a friendly competition. person buys the other a steak dinner if their team has the better record. Chargers were 12-4 and four last year. Jets were like 2-14. and 14. I don't even know what they were. I thought, that's a win-win right there. Steak dinner, that's going to be easy. And the Chargers today are 5-10, and 10, and the Jets won today, and they're 6-9. and nine. So he's going to be probably getting a steak dinner from me. Say, well, you bet. I didn't know it was a st- I was going to take him out to dinner sometime anyways. It's just he was going to get McDonald's, and now i got to give him a steak instead. <laughs> Maybe my team's problem is that I had that friendly little thing with him. So don't ever do even friendly steak dinner wagers and things. Not worth it. And... Um, and I'm just, and the Lopez's, I thought Eddie would be here tonight to rub in the fact that the Raiders beat the Chargers again. But like typical good Raider fans, they don't come to church, so that works out okay. <laughs> Do not tell them I said that. Don't say that. You know, that's, that's called gossip. That's called gossip. So, oh, it could be recorded. Man, I need, I need one of those little red buttons that I can just press and it stops everything for a second and then goes back. There's a pastor in Washington. I saw his pulpit, big church up there. And the pulpit up there, there was this big red button. I'm like, why do you have a red button? <clears throat> well, if I ever get going on about something I don't want to record it, that stops the recording. And when I let go of the red button, it goes back to recording. Probably need one of those at some point. <laughs> and uh, especially the older I get, I'll just keep going on. And anyways, but sometimes people frustrate me. The unsaved crowd of our world frustrates me and their hatred for the things of God. But something I want you to understand tonight Jesus came not only for the ones who worshipped him that night. He came for all those who did not worship him. He came for everyone. And there are a lot of people. We mentioned some shepherds, some wise men, some angels, <coughs> Mary and Joseph. But there are a lot of people who that night meant nothing to them. When it, for us, is one of the biggest nights because Jesus Christ came. I want to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about those who we've left out of the nativity. Number one. We leave out the ignorant. Who would you be talking about? Caesar Augustus. Never once have I had someone ask in a Christmas play if they could be Caesar Augustus. I've never seen Caesar Augustus take part in the Christmas play. But you've got to realize something. Caesar Augustus plays a very important role in the Christmas story. Because several hundred years before this time, There was a prophecy made that Jesus would be born, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And do you know why he was born in Bethlehem? God knew what was going to happen, but there was a heathen pagan king, Caesar Augustus. 
that made it so that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem at this time. God knows what he's doing. We, th- we leave out <coughs> the ignorant. He's ordered a taxing of his kingdom. Caesar Augustus, if you know any ancient history and things, he was a nephew of Julius Caesar and his successor. And he became, and he chose the name Augustus as a tribute to his own greatness. The month August is named after him. That's where it comes if you really look at it and go through. Augustus ordered <coughs> that the people be taxed. And this simply means that he was taking a census. He wanted to know how many people were in his kingdom. And during that time, the Roman Empire ruled everything. And because of that, and he's probably getting ready to, I don't know, wait, have some tax he was going to put on, but he was doing a census and numbering all the people in this kingdom. And Caesar Augustus, if you study anything out about him, you understand that he saw himself as a god. That's how he viewed himself being as powerful as a god. And I'm saying a little g, not the big g, because there is no one but our god. Do you realize every Roman citizen under Caesar Augustus was required to offer a pinch of incense upon a burning altar and worship him once every year? What Augustus didn't know was that the one true living God, think about this, used this man to accomplish God's sovereign will to fulfill that ancient prophecy that I mentioned. <clears throat> we have no human way of knowing why Augustus planned the tax and did it when he did. But I'll tell you this, we do know that God knew why he did. Galatians 4, verse number 4 and 5 but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth of his son, made of a when the, you said when the fullness of time was come? God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And way back in the Garden of Eden, God promised that he would send the seed of a woman to bruise the serpent's head. God, and this is what God does. God allows us to have free will. And as man has free will to do as man does, God is able to work behind the scenes and still accomplish everything he's trying to accomplish. That's what the sovereignty of God's all about. You see, that's how it works with God. Sometimes you say, no, I think God probably made him have that tax. Then you're taking away the free will of a person. And you're saying that God made him do this. Or we, you look in the Old Testament sometimes, you're like, well, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. No, let's get it straight. It does say that. It is true. That's what it says. But Pharaoh hardened his heart a long time before. Pharaoh chose to harden his heart. God let his heart stay hardened, but God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had already done that. That's one of the things you got to understand with God, and God's able to work, and that's how, what he does. And God sent his son into the world <coughs> at the perfect time. There was no, and you think about it, we mentioned this morning, there was a 400-year silent period. Why was this the right time? Because God knew this was the right time. And when the fullness of time was come, that's when God sent his son, and everything lined up perfectly. When Augustus issued his decree, he didn't know that he was being used by God to fulfill an ancient prophecy prophesied 500 years before that time. Micah 5.2, the Bible tells us, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. 
how does it work out? The 500 years later, there's this, this taxing's done right at this time. God knew what was going on. And, Jesus, and Mary and Joseph were in the right place because God had everything under control. Augustus was ignorant of his involvement with the sovereignty of God. Yet, he is just as much a part of the Christmas story as the angels and shepherds are. <clears throat> Let me remind you of something tonight. Jesus came to save those who are ignorant, like Caesar Augustus. He came to save those who are ignorant of God and live for themselves. That's what the Bible talks about. Praise God that he did. He came to save those, the whosoevers. And those whosoevers include the Caesar Augustuses of the world. You see, number one, we left out the ignorant. Number two, we left out the indifferent. <clears throat> we left out the indifferent. Luke chapter number two and verse number seven talks about in the Bible, and sometimes in the Christmas play you'd have an innkeeper, but he had a very small little part in there. Verse seven says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, <clears throat> and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In large ancient inns, there was an innkeeper. And what the innkeeper did was they would keep watch over the inn and collect the money from those who stayed in the establishment. Now, an inn back in those days is nothing like a hotel or a motel today. You know the difference between a hotel and a motel? What's the difference? $60. <coughs> Leave it to Lori. And so, um, thanks for ruining it, Lori. I was trying to, trying to keep everybody serious and you had to go there, but that's all right. But the way it would work, though, it's nothing like a hotel today or a motel today. The way it worked was you would have this uh, open courtyard surrounded by an enclosure with awnings and other shelters where people would bed down for the night. And so they provided travelers with a little bit of safety and rest from their travels, and the innkeeper was paid by the travelers for a place to stay and provide them just a little bit more shelter and a little spot of safety. So it was safer there than being on your camel or on your donkey or on your horse or whatever the case may be. And in Bethlehem, you think about this, the inn at Bethlehem was an ancient inn. And um, when you look at it and you see all these different things, think about this. Mary was very pregnant that night. I've been, I have, well, I've got a wife. You all know that, I think. And I've seen, there's something that you can really tell. When it's that time, you know it's that time. And, and it's so amazing, our four children, they all, each of them, well, the first three, the last one, David, I mean, Matthew, David, Matthew. Wow. Matthew is a little, he's a little different. He came on, he came on Friday, really. But Wednesday night after church, we'd get, I was getting ready for church each of those Wednesdays. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, I think it's time to go. She's like, no, you got church. Go do church. House is right there. I got my phone with me. If she calls, I'll have one of the ladies from church go help her, take her to the hospital. I'll finish up. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'd go over, and we'd just end there, and I would go take her to the hospital. I remember with William, I get done with church, and get through church, lock everything up, and I'm going home. I walk up to the door. I get to the door. There's these eyes looking at me like this. And uh, it's time. Got to the car, got out of here as fast as we could. Drove to Loma Linda back then. First baby, William was at Loma Linda because I thought the Lord was going to put me in Redlands. That's where I thought I was going to be pastoring a church. And God brought me to Chino. So 
I had the doctor and everything was over there. All that happens. And I remember David. <coughs> Wednesday again. And uh, she gave me that look. And I knew that look. I get her there and we get to the hospital. Kaiser here in Ontario. We, we smartened up. We were, yes, praise God. Nice and close. I left the car parked outside and I jump out and she, could, she couldn't walk. I got a, um, I got a uh, wheelchair. Got her in the wheelchair, put my hazards on, and literally, and if you, Kaiser, Ontario there, they have these super long hallways. Why they have to have such long hallways in between, I don't know. But all I know is we got in the elevator, third floor, and why couldn't delivery be right when you get off the elevator? No, it's at the opposite, far end, far end, right, the door right there. I mean, literally, it was like two miles, I'm sure, by the time it was all said and done, and so I get behind the wheelchair, and I, I'm flying. Probably as fast as I could run, we were going about 25 miles an hour up that hallway <clears throat> to get to the end. We got there. We get right up to the door, and you have to, they have to buzz you in. It's like, get here. My wife's having a baby. Don't you realize this? They come. They pull us inside, and they're like, they ask her, you know, and she says, baby's coming soon. Like, well, all the rooms are full. And right then... I don't know if she did this on purpose or if this really happened. She grabbed her stomach and screamed. Like, you know what? There's one room at the end, and we're going to put you in that one room. Got her in the room, and she threw up all over me. Her Subway sandwich, I still don't eat Subway much after that. And got her changed. Got, and I couldn't go change, but I got her changed. She was all ready to go. She's sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to go park the car. I ran about 30 miles an hour back down, got to the car, parked the car, ran back up, and right when I'm getting back to the room, they had called the doctor and the baby was coming. But they said they had no room. She makes a little squeak. Well, it wasn't a little squeal. It was, it's one of those things. It's one of the, I just hope I never hear that noise again. It was one of those things. There's a certain, certain noise you hear in life that just you're scarred for life with it. And, uh, <coughs> but they got a room because something was happening. This innkeeper could have given Mary and Joseph his room. If he really cared and saw, and you think about it, she's been riding on, a, on an animal all day long. I remember with William the first time, that 10 freeway, we were bouncing going along, and she's like, don't go over another bump. I, it's the road. It's what we, that's why they gave us the gas tax to take away that, but the bumps are still on all the roads. Anyways, that's another story for the time. But I to, and I told her, do you ever say, men, do you ever say things? And it's just the wrong time to say it. Yeah. I said, hey, 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 babe. And she's, don't go over. I said, at least you're not Mary riding on an animal. <clears throat> now, I don't know if she still remembers. She probably does. Women remember every little word. They don't remember all the good things you do. They just remember all the things you say. How that works, I really don't know. We, we should have just not recorded this whole message tonight. Shouldn't have been recorded at all. But after traveling all day, getting ready to give birth, you know the innkeeper could see that it was getting close. And you say, well, he, he gave them a manger to be in. He was such a nice guy. Yeah, because you know the manger was so nice and cozy and Mary could just sit there all prim and proper. And, and the feeding trough 
was perfectly, they had sterilized it so Jesus could be laid there after he was born. Can you imagine what that would be like? <clears throat> but we see an innkeeper who was indifferent to the situation. He was indifferent that night. I want you to understand something. He's just as much a part of the Christmas story as the shepherds or the angels. And guess what tonight? Our world is filled with people who are indifferent to the things of God. They could care less. But do you know something? Jesus came for all of them. It's like he did the shepherds or the wise men. He came for the ignorant. He came for the indifferent. Number three. Number three, we leave out the incredulous. Incredulous, I think that's the way I want to say that. So what are you talking about? Go up to chapter two of Luke. <coughs> <coughs> Verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, <coughs> the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now look at this. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds were told and they went. The shepherds told a lot of people that they didn't go. Think about that one there for a second. The shepherds are going around these outcasts we talk about today. The Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. He's there. I'm sure that's what they told them. The people heard the story, and it was impressive, but they never went to see it and see if it was true. That's how it is for this world. That's how it is for some of our friends in life. We tell them about the Lord, maybe even family. <clears throat> we tell them about what the Lord has done in our lives. Maybe they see the Lord working in your life. And they see it, wow, that's a great story. That's a great thing for you. But they never come to experience it for themselves. Do you realize Jesus came not only for those shepherds, but all those who heard it and didn't do anything with it? They missed an opportunity. They were too busy for the Lord. They got caught up in their own lives to come to him. Now it says in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We see next, number four, we leave out the self-righteous. What are you talking about? The religious leaders of that day. Back in Matthew chapter number two, <clears throat> these wise men come. Herod calls the chief priests and the scribes. These are the ones who knew the word of God. Says, where's this baby going to be born? Oh, well, you know, we were just being none. They were like, uh, in the book of Micah, it says, he, chapter 5, verse 2, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And in the book of Numbers, it talks about there'll be a star. And that's where he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. You cannot tell me that the wise men are the only ones who could see the star in the sky. Everyone could see that star. And those who knew the things of God, or who were supposed to, they knew them. They were so blinded by their rituals and all that they do that they missed the whole point of Christmas. There are a lot of people that are that way today. There are a lot of Baptists that are that way today. <clears throat> they know the things of God, but they're so concerned about the letter of the law they wouldn't even know if Jesus Christ walked in and sat in their church. Those guys knew the scriptures. They did. You study the chief, what the, the chief priest, his job, the scribes, their job. They knew the Bible. 
They did. They knew the Bible better than we know the Bible. There's no doubt about it. And yet they totally missed it. And I'm glad to know, too, that Jesus Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save those who needed a Savior. These men knew so much, they totally missed it. <clears throat> kind of like how the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 5, talking about our world, and as we get closer to the end, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of people today that describes their Christianity right there. Man, if someone should have known, those scribes and, and those, the scribes and the chief priests should have known. And they did know, but they didn't get it. There's so many people that just miss what Jesus is all about. Hey, don't get too caught up on everything that you miss out on Jesus. I remind you of that tonight, Christian. He is the reason for everything that we do. And remember, the Lord got a little, fr he, he got more than frustrated with the church at Ephesus. He's like, you have the right doctrine. You even say things against those that are against the things that I do. But I have something against you. You've left your first love. You left me. Don't ever get to the point where you are so enamored that you miss him. And sometimes in church work, we can get so busy with things. We lose out on what's the most important. And, you know, we look at it, and I think, I think about it with some of us around here. I think about, like, Ryan that school, that, that school, and it's wonderful we have a Christian school, but that school's draining. It drains on Caroline. It's a draining, and it's a wonderful thing. I'm not complaining about it. But we can never get so busy in ministry as a church and doing things that we lose sight of what's important. It's Jesus Christ. It's doing the things that we're supposed, you know, it's witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. Don't miss it. Don't get, and I, and I see it so much, and I have a lot of friends that I've grown up with and people that I've known for years and they get so bent out of shape about so many things, they're more worried about a standard in their life than they are about Jesus. And you're no different than a Pharisee or the men we're looking at right now. And don't get me wrong, those standards are important. But why do we have standards and convictions? Because of Christ. He's what's most important. Don't lose sight of that. <coughs> we see ignorant and indifference and incredulous, the self-righteous, and then we leave out, lastly, number five, we leave out the wicked, King Herod. I've never seen anyone play King Herod in the Christmas play, and King Herod was a wicked man. Herod was known as Herod the Great. He was half Jewish and half Edomite. As a half Jew, half Gentile, the Jews had little use for him. He served as their king, but he was under the control of the Roman Empire. And, in, and think about this, in an effort to win the favor of the Jews and to maintain peace in his kingdom, he spent 46 years and an enormous sum of money turning the Jewish temple into a place of beauty and splendor. But King Herod was an awful man, a cruel man. He had wives and sons put to death because he felt like they were after his power. His own sons, his own wives. When it came clear that he would die, he ordered that 70 religious leaders of the Jews die at the same time. Why? So that there would be weeping when he died. The type of man we're talking about. The type of man that had all the boys under two years old killed because he was scared about this coming king. A grown man scared of a baby. He was so jealous. His position and power, he was willing to murder innocent children 
<clears throat> just to maintain a grip on it. What a tragedy that is. And yet our world is full of wicked, self-centered, cruel people. And Jesus died for them just like he died for me. Jesus died for people like King Herod and the soldiers that carried out his orders. Jesus died for the abortionists. He died for serial killers. He died for murderers. He died for drunks, for drug addicts. He died for homosexuals. He died for, he died for lesbians and thieves. He died for ruthless people who do everything in their power to hold on to things that they possess. He died for the people who would step on anyone who gets in their way. He died for the mean, hateful people we rub shoulders with every single day. He died for all. Jesus died for the members of churches like Westboro Baptist Church, the ones who say God hates fags and thank God for dead soldiers. He even died for them. He died for politicians. He died for Nancy Pelosi, Governor Newsom, President Trump. He died for Osama bin Laden. He died for Hitler. I think you get the point. He died for sinners. He died for you and me. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. <clears throat> when you think of the nativity scene, you always think of the wise men, the angels, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, some animals, and Jesus. But maybe tonight... We'll think some more about someone like Caesar Augustus, someone like all those who heard the message, an innkeeper, King Herod, the religious people that day. And maybe it might help us as a church to do some of the things that we're called to do. People, I mentioned it earlier, frustrate me, but God loves those people. What are you doing to help reach the lost? Jesus just didn't care about the ones who worshiped him. He died for all men. He's not willing that any should perish that all should come to repentance. And maybe tonight, just some thoughts I had, some, something as I was looking at and studying and trying to figure something out. No, don't miss out on worshiping him. It's a little thought at the end here. The wise men came and worshiped him. The shepherds worshiped him. Do you worship him? And he's not just worthy of worship at Christmas or Easter. So let, me give you, let me just help you with something. Do you realize I don't even think that Jesus was born in December? I really don't. Then why do we celebrate Christmas? And I, I hear that all the time. If you could hear some of the phone calls, the emails I get, conversations with people, and uh, why you're celebrating a pagan holiday, the winter, I said, I know all of that stuff. Jesus Christ came, period. I don't need some pagan holiday that I got to turn to something. I and I want you to understand something. I worship him no different on Christmas Day than I worship him in the middle of the summer. He's still God both times. And some people get this idea you can go to church once or twice a year and that's good enough. You're missing out. Missing out. I worship him the same all year long. But I am thankful. Say, well, pastor, it's pagan. I'm thankful for a day that we celebrate his birth. And you don't like that, then you don't do it, okay? But I like to celebrate his birth. What about Easter? The resurrection? What about all the paganness and all that? Oh, there's so much paganness in our world. Do you realize anything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit for? <clears throat> Always. But 365 days a year, and I believe in 2020, isn't it leap year? So 366 days, I'll worship him. But let's reach those who aren't worshiping him. 
and get the gospel to them. And let's be more patient with people. Sometimes that's hard for me. Someone cuts me off and gives me the middle finger when they're the ones who are wrong to begin with. It's hard for me to want them to get saved. Jesus wants them to get saved. Hear the corruptness of people. Jesus died for them just like he did for me, and thank God he did. Let's take some time and share that good news of Jesus with others around us. And remember those we don't often think of in the Nativity. Father, we love you, and I thank you for the